Hey everybody, thank you for downloading episode 113 of We Got This with Mark and Hal. We're so grateful for all the support we get from you listeners, and for those who are new and are looking for ways to help the show grow, I've got a couple tips for you. Tip number one, subscribe to the show on iTunes so that you get the episodes when they come out fresh and hot. And also, while you're there, leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Those things actually do help. Not only do they help new people find the show, but... They could, further on down the line, unlock merchandise for We Got This. So you can wear the show with pride on your body or drink out of it. Who knows what you'll be able to do with the show once the merchandise starts flowing. The other thing that we'd like you to do is come join our Facebook group. That's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash We Got This Podcast. You can hang out with the other people of the world, debate every decision, yell at me. Mark's not there, but I'll tell him. And just have a good time and... Help us select the next topic that we discuss right here on this show. But without any further ado, here's episode 113 of We Got This with Mark and Hal. Hello, I'm Hal Lublin. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. Since the dawn of humanity, one issue has gone unsettled. With the fate of the world in the balance, we're here to settle once and for all. Best Shakespeare play. That's right. Don't worry, everyone. We got this. Podcasts should have a theme song. Podcasts should not have a theme song. Yes, they should. No, they shouldn't. They sound good. Yeah, but people are just going to skip past it. Hmm. You know what? You're right. We got this. Oh, for a muse of fire that would ascend the brightest heaven of invention. A kingdom for a stage. Princes to act. And monarchs to behold the swelling scene. And I'm Hal Lublin. <laughs> Welcome, <laughs> listeners. Hi, Hal. Hi, Mark. Uh, uh, we're getting we're getting real fancy today. Yeah, yeah. We really uh, normally are. we talk about hot dogs and ketchup and toilet paper, um, but today we are talking about the works of William Shakespeare. Yes, yes, we are. This uh, topic was suggested by I have it right here, uh, Strawn Stringer Wright via our Facebook group. All right. Uh, but we cannot do this alone, Hal. No, you can't. Dare I say we are not equipped to do this alone. <laughs> well, certainly I'm not. But thankfully, <laughs> uh, the, the, when, when we're talking about best Shakespeare play, uh, the, one of the best people in the world to speak to would be someone who can get through all of them in a very brief period of time. Uh, I met this guy 16 years ago. <laughs> 16 years? I know. I know. <laughs> Uh, he's Austin Titchener of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. Welcome, Austin. Thank you, Hal. Thank you, Marcus. What a lovely introduction and some Shakespearean pearls there dropped at the beginning. Magnificent. Look, uh, this the, thank you. We, it's very intimidating. You are we, just so that everyone knows. You've got all the bona fides in the world to come on and talk about Shakespeare. Uh, for those who don't know, could you describe what the Reduced Shakespeare Company does? Of which I'm a huge fan for a very long time. Thank you. Well, the Reduced Shakespeare Company is a three-man comedy group who takes large, boring topics and reduces them. Makes, usually they're very, very long and large and serious, and we make them short and silly. And uh, we've reduced uh, all the great books abridged, the complete history of America abridged, the Bible, the complete word of God abridged, Old Testament first act, New Testament second act, My when we God. took it to – when we took it to Israel, it was just a one act. But, you know, um, <laughs> uh, 
but the very first show that we did, the, 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 the show that started it all was the complete works of William Shakespeare abridged, uh, all of his plays and his sonnets in 90 minutes. And so that's if you yes, if you were looking for a Shakespearean scholar to join you today, you have found the most reduced one. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, also, uh, act two of of the uh, complete works of William Shakespeare abridged. Uh, you have chosen the, the, arguably the greatest play of all time for the entirety of act two, which means this is going to be a tough one to beat going in, I believe. Well, you when you have to when we reduce the entire complete works, you know, getting mm -hmm. all thirty-seven plays, one hundred fifty-four sonnets into one into one pl play is tough. So you can't give equal time to everything. But Hamlet, arguably the greatest Shakespeare play ever, deserves at least twenty minutes. Yes. Uh, but what do not deserve 20 minutes are the histories, which is where we are going to start today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, the way that we've decided to break this episode down uh, is according to the first folio, which is the 1623 anthology of Shakespeare's works. Uh, it is broken down into uh, comedies, histories and tragedies. Uh, so we're going to uh, we're going to use that as the basis of how we break this down. Uh, frequently, the way that our methodology for this show, we wind up getting the silver and bronze medalists wrong, but we always get the gold medalist right. But I feel like this may be a good way to look at this. Agreed? Absolutely. Yeah. But Agreed. before we jump into the histories, Mark, how tell yes. me a little bit. I want to know about your experience with Shakespeare. Because you're a theater guy, you went to DePaul in Chicago. Yes, and you're definitely oh. way more theatery than I am. I am. I was very excited about this topic. Uh, I was talking to Hal earlier. I said, "This is you when we did best Star Trek movie." Is uh, the excitement <laughs> level that I have for this particular episode? Um, you know, that's yeah, funny. The, 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 the most popular podcasts that I do with my Reduce Shakespeare Company podcast are you either the Shakespeare ones. Or the Star Trek ones. There's yeah. A very, there's a very the Venn diagram of those two. Um, it's uh, just groups. a circle. Yeah, it's just a circle exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Star Trek Six is all is all is the combination of both. You have Christopher Plummer quoting Hamlet, right? Absolutely, in the original Klingon. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't spell Shakespeare without Shatner, kind of almost. <laughs> <laughs> According to him, for sure. Right. All right. So, um, I, yes, to get, to get to my Shakespeare stuff, I have, I love doing Shakespeare plays. I've done, uh, Romeo and Juliet. Um, of course, I feel like everyone when they're in high school does Romeo and Juliet. Um, but I did it for a whole summer, so it has a special place for me. Uh, when I was a little kid, I did, uh, The Winter's Tale. And then, um, uh, I did Macbeth, or we can call it Macbeth on this, right? We don't have to call it the Scottish play because we're not in a theater. Please, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I cannot wait to get to that play and hear your clear opinions about these superstitions. Because um, it sounds like you have them. But yes, I enjoy doing Shakespeare plays uh, and reading Shakespeare. And uh, and actually, your show, Austin, uh, The Complete Works of William Shakespeare Abridged, is one of my favorites that I was introduced to in high school. And it sort of uh, kept my interest uh, growing in Shakespeare. 
It tends to do that. Yeah, it's a it's a, you know, and I and I can compliment that show uh, all day long because I'm not actually one of the writers of it. That was a, that show was written by the three original founding members of the Reduce Shakespeare Company, uh, Adam, Adam Long, Daniel Singer and Jess Winfield. And it's uh, it's just it is one of a kind. You know, it's it's yeah. such a great introduction to the show. We get teachers and students who say, oh, I showed this in my class or my teacher showed this in my class. And, and I always go as reward or punishment, um, <laughs> you know. And they just go, oh, I wish you could be teaching us Shakespeare. So it's very flattering to have to be absolutely part of that. And um, um, uh, and it, it was funny to hear you, you know, reciting the opening prologue to Henry V there um, at the top, Mark, because we have we have just uncovered our latest do Shakespeare Company show is William Shakespeare's long lost first play, Abridged. And Ooh. We, we, did, we, did, we discovered it in a car park in Leicester next to some bones that didn't look that important. <laughs> and uh, it turns out that Shakespeare's very first play is 100 hours long. It's thoroughly unproducible, and it contains every famous um, Shakespeare character and famous speech all sort of mashed up together in a famili- familiar but unknown story. So, oh, this um, is so good. Yeah, and the and the first draft of that, well, the first draft of that of Henry Five speech is, oh, if a muse of fire could be the food of love, let's eat. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, so everyone grab a snack for this episode. Yeah. We'll be, we're going to be here a while. Say, I hope you all have uh, leftover cake because it was just Shakespeare's birthday two days ago. As of the, That's right. As of the release right. of this episode. Happy birthday, Willie. Yeah. Happy birthday, Mr. Shakespeare. All right there. What do you think you're some sort of Shakespeare? Shakespeare is one of those names that gets used by dads like Einstein. Right. Right. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. There you go, Einstein. All right, Shakespeare. There's a kid with glasses. Call him Poindexter or Shakespeare. Exactly. (laughs) Um, All right. So uh, in honor of in honor of William Shakespeare's birthday, let's go with the histories. Uh, Here they are in folio order. King John, Richard II, Henry IV, parts one and two, Henry V, Henry VI, parts one, two, and three, Richard III, and Henry VIII. All right. Yes, very, very legal. Lots of numbers in that mm-hmm. mix. I feel like this one is just going to become a battle of Henry V versus Richard III. Mm. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I think that's probably of right. These I, think plays. There, I think there's some, uh, uh, there are some unsung tales in here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, Henry, the, Henry, the sixth, the play so nice. He wrote it thrice. Um, oh, yes. you know, Out of I, order, right? He wrote part two first and then wrote part one. I think that's right. And wrote part three, uh, years later, you know, just, just to finish, finish up the story of Michael Corleone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's got Godfather chronology, the Henry, the <laughs> sixths. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in there, but it's definitely not worth um, the three plays. And I have just been I went to a Shakespeare theater conference because, of course, I would. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I was scolded uh, for not appreciating King John more. Apparently, there's some uh, there, apparently there's some um, wonderful characters in there and uh, uh, and that it is much um, unsung and underrated. And I I, I cannot claim any uh, expert knowledge about this but there there is a small pocket of people out there who claim that king john is better than we all think you know what though that to me feels like people at a comic-con that's like you don't like peter parker enough or whatever like clearly the best uh batman Mm -hmm. 
villain yeah. is the toy master or whoever. And here's why. <laughs> I think that's exactly right. It's just it's just contrarians wanting to be contrary. Yeah, exactly. Now, now this I, King John is the same is the same figure uh, who was Prince John in the Robin Hood tales, correct? Exactly. And that in- enormously interesting fact is completely left out of the play. So work. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, if Shakespeare had put Robin Hood into King John, things would have Hello? been so much different. Yeah. yeah, we wouldn't have to do this episode. The yeah. original, uh, the original performance was all forest animals, like the Disney film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and a rooster walking around singing Roger Miller tunes. Exactly. <laughs> hey, not enough. Um, all right, so uh, let's jump into uh, Henry the Fifth or Richard the Third. Can the I make one? Can I? Can I make two um, pitches for Henry Please. for Henry Four Part One? Okay. Four part one uh, has so much going on in it. Uh, it's one of those plays. It's all over the place, but every place it goes to is really interesting. Um, all, all the stuff between Hal and Falstaff uh, uh, in East Cheap, in the pubs and out robbing people. That's all interesting. And you get to see Hal's coming of age as he figures out, oh, maybe I should be hanging out with this rogue, this vagabond. Uh, and then the stuff with his father. Which is really great. And then the fight scenes at the end where Hal and Hotspur, you know, duke it out and, and, and contend for a, a supremacy. I think there's a lot going on in Henry Four One, which are, and, and all of it is fascinating. It has, it, it goes more places than Henry the Five, Henry the Five, Henry Five, mm. um, uh, in my view. So I, I, I would make a slight fight for that. And also I think Richard the Second is, is slightly. Ah. I, will, I can I can make an argument for Richard II. I can't. I don't think I can argue that they're better, but I think I can make an right. argument that they're both pretty good. Well, what What do you think makes a great history from Shakespeare? What What makes those stand out? I mean, Richard III. I'm obviously familiar with, and everybody knows. Uh, now is the winter of our discontent, which comes from the beginning of that. Unless I'm getting it wrong. Uh, no, bravo, well done. Yes, thank you. And everybody uh, is familiher with Henry VIII, if if only for the Herm- mm-hmm. Herm- Herman's Hermit song. Uh, <laughs> but what, what is it? What are the things that is it? Is it the events that they cover from history? Like you said, is it the action? Is it character development? Uh, and and is the thing that makes a great history also the thing that makes a great uh, tragedy or comedy? Ooh, that's well, that's a couple of good questions right there. Yeah. Um, um, well, and, and some people think that Richard III is a tragedy. Um, uh, uh, I would think, I would, I, I would argue that the, 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 the reason Henry V and Richard III are arguably the best histories are because they have great, strong, central title characters that you can mm-hmm. immediately focus the action around and an audience can go, right, I'm involved. I'm on board with Henry V and I'm on board with Richard. Um, uh, I think that allows you to, one of the problems with the Henry VI plays is that, you know, Henry VI is kind of a cipher. It's not, it's totally, the play is totally not about him. Similar with, the, mm-hmm. with Henry VIII. Henry VIII is more about um, Cardinal Woolsey. Um, uh, and so it's not, again, it's not really about Henry VIII at all. Um, and the same with Richard III. Richard III is like one of the greatest theatrical characters in the history of literature. And, and not only is he, is he an evil figure, He's he's a charming figure. He's funny. He's his his very first line that you quoted only half of. Now is the winter of our discontent. May glorious summer by this son of York. It it's a pun. 
Right. <laughs> it's, and you got to love any so, Shakespearean tragic figure that whose first line is a pun. So he's out there. He's a villain who's out there saying puns. And at one point he kills uh, teenagers. Is he the Freddy Krueger of the Shakespeare canon? <laughs> he might. Yes, he might. He might well be. Maybe, but, but then he denies it. I think Freddy owned it in a way that Richard yeah. doesn't. Yeah. yeah, Richard doesn't own that he's killing children right. in the tower. Yeah, right. Richard doesn't drown somebody and they go, have a drink. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? He kind of, I bet he does. Now I'm going to have to go look through the text and see if there is. <laughs> see if, we can see if there's a, have a drink. <laughs> he wrote jokes on his hump, just joke ideas. <laughs> that was a scratch paper. I, I do, uh, uh, there's a great documentary called Looking for Richard which is about Kevin Spacey and Al Pacino. It was about Al Pacino staging Richard III. And at a certain point, he's in he's in, in the castle in his full outfit, and a group of, like, Norwegian students are in on a tour, and he just <laughs> come he, like, emerges from, from behind a tapestry and starts acting at them. <laughs> Number one, the students have no idea who he is. They have of no course. idea what's going on, and probably half of them just need to go to the bathroom. But it is, I mean, the, the film is... Brilliant. It's a great uh, look at how actors break down uh, Shakespearean text to perform it. But also that is one of my favorite awkward moments in a documentary. Well, I love um, that you described it as acting at because that is yeah. certainly Pacino's <laughs> style for sure. Yes. <laughs> to act at you. <laughs> so what are – so it sounds like Richard the, Richard the Third is a finalist. Is that – for certain, just because it. Well, we we have the. I think we have Henry V to talk about a little bit. Yeah. Richard yeah. III is brilliant and uh, and iconic, uh, but Henry V does have, if nothing else, one really great speech, um, and lots of interesting side characters. The St. Christmas Day speech. Yeah, sure. Um, every 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 no movie with a hero would be would would be a successful movie without some version of the St. Oh, yeah. Day speech. Yeah, I never thought of that. That really is the like just you know uh, getting up in front of your troops and rallying them as boy. That is one speech good enough to like. I, I don't think as a character Henry V is going to beat uh, Richard the Third. I think. But, is Henry Henry plus that speech that iconic speech is that enough to tip them over Richard the Third as the victor in this? Um, I say them as if they are two separate entities. I don't know because Richard, if we're going by speeches, I think Richard has a lot of great speeches as well. Um, but I think I think Henry might get the nod. The nod. I get. I think sure. Henry might get. The nudge or the nod, um, because, um, it's, it's a little more contained. You know, Shakespeare loved his five act, you know, plays that go everywhere. Uh, Henry the five is also five acts, but it feels more of a contained action. If we're speaking of the Aristotelian unities, <laughs> um, uh, you know, it has a unity. Do you have to do that when you say Aristotelian unities? Yes, exa- I do. I had to give that, that, <laughs> that, uh, I don't know. It's not quite Paul Lind, but it's something. Anyway, um, yeah, it's it 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 is, it seems more contained. Um, uh, uh, one one the, the it has a unity of action that I think Richard III doesn't necessarily have, um, and and that might it, it, and it also it it can be equally an anti-war play or a pro-war play. 
Um, it's been used in both. Olivier's version was, the film version was very, very, um, patriotic and meant to stir, stir, um, English patriotic sentiment uh, around World War II. And Branagh's version is very much not that. Um, so I, it's got a lot going on in that play that I think might slightly give it the nod over Richard III. Okay. Um, we, we will defer to you in most of these, by the way, as you are, uh, <laughs> You are currently a professor of Shakespeare at a university, and we are two bozos who argue about things. <laughs> um, I am an expert in the sense that X is an unknown quantity and spurt is a drip <laughs> under pressure. Yes. <laughs> um, let me ask you, I will say one thing that uh, Henry V has uh, against it is – uh, killing off like I'm now I'm treating it like a movie franchise. Killing off uh, Falstaff. Spoilers. Uh, yeah, sorry for the spoilers. Uh, how many of Shakespeare's plays does Falstaff appear in? Because I will say the version that is in Merry Wives of Windsor is so much fun when done by an expert company. Yeah. Yes. Uh, also a kind of an undersung play. I think there's four plays if you count Henry. Five, where he d- appears very little, if at all. I mean, he might only be talked about off stage. Yeah. Um, if you count Henry V, there's four plays. He's in Henry IV, Part One and Two, and then in the in the sequel, <laughs> Merry Wives. Right. <laughs> um, but Falstaff is a great character. He's a, and he also appears in um, 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 William Shakespeare's long lost first play, Abridged. We discover, and it's very, oh, it's very. He does, yeah, and it's a great. It's a he has a, he the best entrance line in the history. He he stumbles into the pub crying, "A whore, a whore, my kingdom for a whore." <laughs> Shakespeare later repurposed that line in a slightly more noble way. <laughs> slightly, it was it was a line that he gave to uh, his Freddy Krueger, so only slightly <laughs> more noble. Right, right. Um, but so Henry V is the one coming out of the history into the finals. Okay. So, so we're going with one history. Uh, we figure two comedies. Uh, how does that sound? A history, two comedies, three tragedies. Because looking at them, I feel like that's what they deserve. Oh, yes? That's a good. I like that breakdown. I, I'm, I can go with that. Great. Uh, so let's pick our two comedies to take into the finals. And our list of comedies uh, in the first folio, as listed, are as follows. The Tempest. The Two Gentlemen of Verona, The Merry Wives of Windsor, Measure for Measure, The Comedy of Errors, Much Ado About Nothing, Love's Labor's Lost, A Midsummer Night's Dream, The Merchant of Venice, As You Like It, The Taming of the Shrew, All's Well That Ends Well, Twelfth Night, and The Winter's Tale. That is a mouthful. That's a pretty good list. You know, if he had only written those plays. That you, you would know, be the greatest playwright of all time if you only did those. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly you right. You would be the greatest playwright of all time if you only wrote Hamlet. Well, yes, exactly right. Yes, but what has he done lately? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have a couple stories. One, Please. you like stories? I love stories. I went to see Tammy of the Shrew when I was a kid downtown in Philadelphia. And it was one of those things where it was like an 11 a.m. matinee for a bunch of kids. And at the end, they did a talkback. And for those of you listening who don't know what a talkback is, that's when the cast will come out and sit in chairs in a row and do a Q&A, an informal Q&A uh, with the audience. Whatever they want to know about the production, and the, generally it's questions about the process. And a little girl raises <laughs> her hands. And her question was, was that real when she slapped him upside his head? <laughs> <laughs> and, to be honest, that is the only thing I remember from that performance of Taming of the Shrew. 
Pichiruki you know got what? slapped upside his head. Yeah. Okay. But a lot of those films got remade in the 90s into teen comedies. So Terry <laughs> became That's true, yeah. Hate About You. That's uh, right. Uh, She's All That was – um. oh, my goodness. No, uh, Twelfth Night became She's the Man. Right. She's yes. the Man. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, but yes. uh, yeah, uh, Love's Labor's plays. Lost became that musical version that they did with big band music of Love's Labor's Lost. <laughs> yeah, those, the first those first two teen comedies I thought were really great. I, I have mixed feelings about Branna's Love's Labor's. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, uh, the the Kate and Petruchio story. Let's start with Taming of the Shrew. Okay. Um, Taming of the Shrew is one of my favorites. But the oh, I can't handle the ending in 2017. The ending of Shake of Taming of the Shrew, just being Kate coming out saying, "You're right, I should be subservient." Am I looking at this ending incorrectly? No, you're not. Not at all. I think it's how you stage it. I think you can get away with it if you you know if if she's if she's pinning him down with his, her foot on his neck as she's saying mm-hmm. all that stuff. Ah. <laughs> uh. Suddenly, I think it plays. Um, but also, I, I mean, I love I love that play too because I I, I think Kate and Petruchio really deserve each other. Mm-hmm. Um, some of my favorite, I mean, my favorite relationships in Shakespeare are the combative ones: the Kate and Petruchio, um, um, uh, Beatrice and Benedict. Uh, oh, sure. You, you know, it's it's. Uh, but then, you know, Hal, you know my wife. I've yeah. I've 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 married a woman who 400 years ago would have been, you know, arrested as a witch or shamed as a shrew. Oh. Uh, so I, I I have a type. Mm-hmm. Sure. You go for uh, the Cates. Yeah, I go for the Cates and the Beatrices for sure. Um, you make a really good point, Austin, which is it's it's very easy to just look at the text and say prima facie this is. Uh, this is abusive to women and this is, this is sexist. And, and of course, a lot of the things that were written at that time, the way that, that gender dynamics and social politics played out were vastly different than they are now. But you can interpret those moments and modernize them in a way that the woman has power. I just uh, I just mm. finished a production directing a production of Much Ado up here at Pacific University, and uh, one of the great points of pride that I took in in that production was that my hero, who was like the Bianca in Taming of the Shrew, she's the mm. sweet ingenue, um, 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 was sweet, yes, but she had a lot of balls too, and uh, she had enormous agency, and 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 the actor playing my Claudio was clearly the the puppy in that relationship and so when she take she takes him back at the end she grabbed her by the scruff of the neck and said god damn it she didn't say god damn it she said <laughs> she said i am a maid and he goes okay okay i am <laughs> and it was lovely and powerful and strong and really and it really helped sell that sometimes problematic final moment there uh, yeah, there are, there, there are problems with those ending beats sometimes, but the women in the comedies are, uh, some of comedy's great women yeah. in history. Yeah. Um, and I would, and I, and I would say too, going back to, to Hal's point about also excellent use of Latin and the prima facie there, Hal. Well done, sir. Um, <laughs> we, um, look, we gotta, we gotta, uh, bring out the big guns. We got a <laughs> professor on today. The $27 words. Um, 
we, we, uh, you know, uh, like a play, I mean, I think Taming the Shrew, yes, is, is tricky. You've got to do it right. But a play like Measure for Measure is maybe more problematic because it's the, the level of misogyny just throughout the play. It's not even one man treating one woman badly. It's like the whole view of women in Measure for Measure is, is, is very problematic. And it's not, it's, it's one of the reasons that Measure for Measure is included in the subcategory of comedies known as the, the problem plays. Measure for Measure, All's Well That Ends Well, and, and Troilus and Cressida. And why are those problem plays? Well, uh, the biggest problem with them is that as comedies, they're not very funny. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, this this uh, would be a problem. Yeah, that's that's kind of a problem. Um, and, and I think that's and I think that's the biggest problem, really. I, it's also they're just they're not what an audience wants. You know, they're not they're they're the plays aren't as tight as strong. The characters aren't as interesting. Um, you know, and, I never. I never sense I, I never hear about that. You hear Shakespeare and you think, oh, it's just all great stuff. There's never been a thought of like Shakespeare, a eh, couple of clunkers in there. <laughs> well, really, because that's a, then I, I feel like I failed in my life's work. To, well, uh, I, this, this is the first I'm hearing of this and I'm glad I'm hearing it. It's just I mean, I think one of the uh, one of the great things about appreciating Shakespeare is knowing that not everything he wrote was absolute gold. Um, you know, he re- did write a lot of dross. He also wrote a lot of five act plays that you go, come on, we can do, <laughs> you know, we can do this in an hour and a half, not three. You guys hours. did it with all of them in an hour and a half. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. I mean, and you've yeah, done it with the whole Bible. Absolutely. The whole Bible, everything, you know, that's, this is, a, that's the way I'm able to send my kids to college. You kidding? Um, <laughs> um, but I think, but I do think, sorry, you can't have the dark without the light. You can't have love without hate. You can't have, you can't have Shakespeare's greatness, I think, without appreciating uh, his less than great plays. So thanks, Shakespeare's crap. You're helping us pick the good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I want to talk for a second about the Merchant of Venice. Uh, it is in, I think the way it is staged now has to be vastly different than the way that it was staged, you know, uh, 550 years ago or, or however mm-hmm. long it was. Uh, because, because of the idea of Shylock the Jew being like, like a clownish, that stereotype being funny to people. Right. And right. You can't do that now. Now you have to have like David Suchet come out and play Shylock and you have to be like, oh, there is some like we we have to handle this in a different way and stage it differently. Yeah, you have to. I've seen productions or heard of productions where that where, you, you know, the actor play, you, you actually go to Shylock's part of town and you see them, you know, having Sabbath dinner and you hear a lot of Hebrew mixed in with the with the Shakespeare and you give. And you 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 pay respect uh, uh, and give honor to that culture that um, Shakespeare spends a lot of his time making fun of. Um, what I think, uh, I, well, I, I have two two thoughts about Shiloh. What I what I love about that play is that everybody's a jerk in that play. Everybody. There isn't a <laughs> there is there isn't a nice yeah. person. That, and I it's include. Not, oh, look at that, that Jewish jerk! It's look yeah. at all that Gentile jerk. Everyone. Right. Yeah. There's one Jewish jerk and there's a lot of Gentile schmucks. Um, <laughs> uh, and Portia is really, you know, in the I mean, she's really detestable. I mean, in many, many ways, you know, she says, oh, oh hath, you know, the, the, the quality of mercy is not strained. 
And then like a page later, 10 lines later, she's talking, she's giving Shylock zero mercy, you know? So, um, I mean, I think I was involved in a, and you can cut this if you want, because I don't know whether it's germane, but I was involved in a production of Merchant of Venice done by the Backroom Shakespeare Project in Chicago. And they take, and their motto is professional actors, no director, little rehearsal in a bar. Their their hope is to <laughs> is that a review or a tagline? <laughs> That's their mandate. That's their motto. <laughs> um, and they they are trying to, to trying to perform Shakespeare in a similar way to which he was originally performed, not with accents and not in the ghost costumes, but in the mm-hmm. sense that Shakespeare's audience in the Globe Theater and all the Elizabethan theaters was a riotous pit of bloodthirsty drunks. And, um, and it was as much social as it was entertainment. Audiences were there to be seen, uh, as well as hear the play. They talk, they went to hear plays. They didn't go to see plays. They went to hear them. Mm -hmm. That was the verb they used. And, um, um, uh, and so they perform it in a bar where, and then they do, they kind of do a little pre-show of some fake bear baiting and, you know, they bring audience members up and people are drinking wow. from, people are drinking from the get go. And, 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 and so the audience is primed for this comedy. And in this particular reading of Merchant of Venice, they leaned into the racism. They leaned into the sexism. They leaned into the anti-Semitism. They leaned into the sense that this was a comedy 400 years ago. We are going to lean into its comic aspects now. And the plot lends itself to that because mm. it really has, it makes about as much sense as your average Scooby-Doo cartoon, that plot. Portia, <laughs> Portia is choosing a, choosing her uh, her fiance by this sort of game show trick about picking the right box and uh, uh and, and and then and then somehow in a capital in a serious important capital case this woman is allowed to dress up as a man and be accepted as a judge with stat stature in this court so <laughs> it's, it's exactly there is exactly zero realism here um so in that sense in that sense, it worked surprisingly well. And the actor playing Shylock brought all the heat when he needed it for you wow. know, not a Jew eyes, half not a Jew, you know, uh, ears and teeth and, you know, uh, iPods and whatever the speech is. Um, <laughs> he, brought, he brought all the heat, which took nothing away or maybe added to some of the shame, you know, that is foisted upon him at the end of the play. And Portia was played by an actress who just leaned into the comedy and was like Lucy Ball playing Portia. And her charm um really made actually all the actors charms really made um i played the duke of aragon i played the prince of aragon and the duke ah. so it wasn't at all about my actors charms i was being <laughs> funny background um but now these, was this i'm sorry no the, i was just gonna say the, but these the the charms of these actors really sold the humanity of the characters even in this really even with this really problematic play so was, is this like with actors with scripts in their hands or all fully staged and full production? No, it's fu- it's uh, it's fully they're memorized. Mostly mm-hmm. they have right. they have somebody on book, somebody who is ideally not drinking. Um, uh, and it's not it's not <laughs> face Shakespeare. It's not it's not drunk Shakespeare. It's sorry, right. or, um, it's not. Um, uh, 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 it, no, it's actors. It's actors playing it for real. And doing the best they can, but knowing that they're in a bar. Also, that's the other thing. There is no pretense that what you're watching is realism. You are watching actors in a bar 
pretend to be these characters. And and it, and the and the scene take the, the play takes place all over the place. And it was a really amazing experience. My daughter came, she was I don't know 14 at the time and uh and she watched the show and I, and I and I really can't think of a better introduction to that really problematic play than the huh. one that she got to see. Do you think that uh do you think that doing it in its original context helped because Comedy, by its very nature, is constantly shifting. So it was funny in 1597 is not funny anymore. Yeah, I think I think also it helps. Yes, it helps that you're doing it in the in a similar context as it was 400 mm-hmm. years ago with an audience that's drinking. Um, I, right. mean, I just think that helps. Um, Look, I generally prefer to be drinking, whether on stage or facing it. Either yes. way. We always we always encourage our audiences to, to drink because the more <laughs> you drink, the funnier we are. Um, there you go. But um, but I also think the audience knows it's seeing a comedy. The audience mm. knows it's seeing a um, um, a problematic comedy. And the audience knows that the actors are drinking and vice versa. And also, we're not in a serious you are not in a serious proscenium stage theater where the lights are dark and the ushers are telling you please be quiet and uh, you can't know you can't bring your drinks into the theater and it's not it, it, it's a much different um uh, uh atmosphere than you get in many theaters where i think many, that go ahead do you think that shakespeare gets more uh reverence than he deserves or gets too much reverence to enjoy him properly I do. I, I not not that he gets too much reverence because I think he deserves all the reverence he gets. But I think, but I think sometimes we, you know, we put him into we put him into theaters and we make our we give our audiences expectations uh, of 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 a level of seriousness and high art that I think does Shakespeare a disservice. I mean, I think it would do anybody a disservice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I, I think Shakespeare was a man of the people and he was a showman. And I think you do him a disservice when you treat him with over much reverence. Um, well, let's move on, uh, because that's a wonderful segue to a group of actors who feel that they should be treated with the utmost authority, uh, who are not treated with reverence. And that is the rude mechanicals in A Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah. Um, Another that this one, this one, I think will be tough for me. This is the one I would love to push into the finals because I love this story. Uh, It's got so many iconic moments and characters with uh, the four lovers chasing each other around uh, and the mechanicals putting on a play. It really is. It's a million different types of comedy all in one. Uh, Thoughts on Midsummer? Uh, yeah, Midsummer is a classic, and my problem, you know, is that in my business, I've seen way too many productions of Midsummer. Sure, and, and I don't <laughs> because it's I, not problematic. So right, and and I don't need to see do. another one. But yeah, but but it, but it's hard to argue with all. The, it's there's a reason why people do it all the time. It's a great introduction to Shakespeare for for young people, uh, or even for anybody who is intimidated mm-hmm. by Shakespeare. And uh, you know, when people <laughs> first, I say this is the one I want, you go, yeah, that's the children's one. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mark, I think a lot of stupid people like that play. Oh, um, good. <laughs> um, no, I, I and I and you're 100% right about the 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 rude mechanicals, you know, when when I think the Rudy Shakespeare company first started, people were saying, "Oh, how dare you parody Shakespeare?" But of course, the rude mechanicals, their performance of Pyramus and Thisbe is in itself a parody 
of theater at the time. You know, mm-hmm. Shakespeare was writing theatrical parody. Yeah. You know, and 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 it's one of the things that Hamlet talks about. Hamlet, for for his for his status as a as a leading tragic figure, really knows his actors because he has a lot of he gives a lot of notes to actors. You know, Shakespeare was a lover of the theater, and in which is why there's we won't we don't even need to get into the debate about who wrote Shakespeare's plays, um, no. but but the evidence but the evidence. Um, has to have William Shakespeare. And Shakespeare was an actor, as well as being a, a, an amazing playwright, and he knew what actors were like. And so, so the, the the portraits that he draws of the actors in the room mechanicals are 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 very funny. But I also think they're very fond portraits. Um, let me ask you this: uh, You mentioned Shakespeare knowing actors. I just want to go uh, off topic for just a second. This is going to wind up being a nine-hour episode. I apologize, Austin and <laughs> listeners. Um, you mentioned Shakespeare knows actors. Um, how do you feel about uh, folio technique? This is a thing that we studied in school that I thought was fascinating that was later uh, refuted and debunked by a, another Shakespeare scholar friend of mine. Uh, folio technique being that if you look at the original text of Shakespeare's folio from 1623, there's a million misspellings and weird punctuations and odd uh, and odd capitalizations, uh, and that all of these were uh, clues made by Shakespeare for actors. I think, uh, yes, I, I, I do you think, think that you believe in this? Or do you think this is baloney? No, well, I, I, I believe in it and it's baloney. Um, oh, good. I do think, I do think the, I think, I mean, I think the text gives you so many clues. I think I, you know, they, they say that, oh, it's all in the text. I don't think it's all in the text, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of it is, it is in the text. Um, but I'm not sure that the punctuations and the misspellings and the capitalization are there to give you clues. I think they're, I think those are there because they are, you know, random acts of, of grammar. Um, uh, from 400 years ago that are misprintings or they're misspellings or they were just, you know, they're just, they're just random. Um, I'm also, well, as might be guessed, I'm, I'm not the most reverent of people. And, 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 and I, and I, and I think people can get caught up in speaking, speaking the verse in a very rigid sort of a rhythm or Mm -hmm. that you must come to a pause at the end of a line or you, you, you must, you must always um, um, wrap your, uh, uh, wrap the sense of the line around to, to, to put to the period in the middle of the next line. I mean, I think some of that is there. I, I, I guess the point, the, the reduced answer is take what's useful and ignore the rest. Um, uh, that is good advice for life in general. Yeah, that's probably right. Um, all right, so we need to uh, we need to uh, take a look at uh, at these comedies and pull two from this list. Yeah. What uh what is what's popping to the top? I mean, I love Much Ado About Nothing. Uh, it's the same. It's it's you know it's the quarreling lovers, and boy, were are they Beatrice and Benedict are a beautiful pair. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I w- I'm a big fan of Much Ado About Nothing too, but I not, but I also assigned it for my uh to my script analysis students this term, mm-hmm. and I learned and I learned a lesson that I think many teacher <laughs> many teachers ahead of me have learned, which is there that there's a reason you assign Romeo and Juliet and Macbeth and Hamlet, and you don't assign Much Ado About Nothing. Um, it's a mm-hmm. It's a much harder play to wade through. Um, I had, I when I directed it here, I adapted it uh, to uh, to an hour and forty minutes, I think. 
Um, because really there's, there's a lot of brush that you need to clear away, a lot of mm. debris of 400 year old puns and classical allusions and pop culture references we don't get anymore. Right. Uh, you really have to wade through and much ado about nothing. I think, I think if, if Midsummer Night's Dream is going to have any competition in the comedy category, it's probably got to be Twelfth Night. Ah, let's talk about Twelfth Night. Yeah. Yeah. Twelfth Night is also has fantastic um, um, characters, um, a, a fantastic heroine in Viola, who's doing the classic Shakespeare thing of dressing in drag um, to pretend to be Cesario, and she falls in love with Duke Orsino. But then Duke Orsino sends Viola to meet uh, Olivia, who's in mourning, um, um, and Viola falls in love with Cesario, the boy that Viola is dressed up to be. And uh, my biggest problem with Twelfth Night is that is that you get all the good actors playing Viola and Olivia, and you get the fourth or fifth choice playing Orsino, and it, <laughs> and, and and you never care about the Orsino side of the love triangle um, in, in all the productions I've seen, which is which is unfortunate. But it's also got Sir Toby Belch, you know, Falstaff's spiritual cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's got Sir Andrew Aguchik. It's got one of the funniest fight scenes in the history of theater when Sir Andrew and Viola are forced to fight and they neither one of them wants to fight, but it's, it's a reluctant fight scene. It's great. Uh, and then it's got Malvolio, Malvolio, who is a, who is a, a Puritan figure and the Puritans were, um, well, well known and much loathed in, in, in Shakespeare's day because they were constantly trying to shut down the theaters. And yeah. so, and then they all moved to the United States. Yes, they did. God bless us, everyone. Um, no, it's it's true. Yes, fighting fighting for religious freedom. Not everybody's just their own, but still, <laughs> white mm-hmm. people doing it right. White <laughs> no, no. coming to your town, so run and hide, white people. As a descendant of a Puritan who came over to in in 1644, it does really? my little. Yeah, it does my little heart good to know that he's got to be just whirling in his grave. Oh yeah, knowing what, knowing what I do. Yeah, um, that you you that you have brought his nemesis to the masses. <laughs> yes, exactly right. And I've dressed as a woman. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so out of the comedies, it sounds like we're taking Twelfth Night and Midsummer Night's Dream. Does that sound accurate? I think I think anybody uh, would be hard to argue with those two. Great. Um, all right. So let us move on now. Oh, we've no, you know what we should do? Here's what we should do right now. We should take a little break uh, because we are we have had act one of our of our play was picking a history. Act two of our play was picking the comedies. We'll take a little break and come back with acts uh, three, four and five. So wait around a minute, everyone, as we show you other podcasts from Max Fun. Are you easily confused by terms like cultural appropriation cisgender and woke or maybe you find yourself constantly explaining terms like these and you need a place to vent do you have a love for all things pop culture social commentary and politics sounds Sounds like like you you need need minority Minority corner Corner. where you can learn laugh and play sounds like blues clues only it's more black gay and ladylike james and aneke will happily administer your weekly dose each and every friday you can listen on maximum fun or wherever you get your podcast minority corner with the k because the c was taken So the 2017 Max Fun Drive was a huge success. 
Thank you so much to everyone who joined or upgraded during the drive and to all of our amazing monthly members. To celebrate, we're giving our $10 and higher monthly members the chance to buy additional enamel pins with the profits going to our friends at the Los Angeles Regional Food Bank. What? Yeah. The sale runs April 26th through May 3rd, and it's your last chance to get your hands on these sweet pins. $10 monthly members should receive a link and a code in their email on April 26th, so keep an eye on your inbox and get your denim jacket ready. For more information, visit MaximumFun.org slash pins. And thank you again. Welcome back, everybody. All right. Act three, the tragedies. All right, we're pulling three tragedies from this list to go into the finals. Boy, some classics here. Again. That's why we had to get three for this one. There's so many. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let me read the list of tragedies. Uh, Troilus and Cressida, Coriolanus, Titus Andronicus, Romeo and Juliet, Timon of Athens, Julius Caesar, Macbeth, Hamlet, King Lear, Othello, Antony and Cleopatra, and Cymbeline. Well, a bunch of these I think you could get right off the bat. You can get rid of Cymbeline. You can get rid of Coriolanus. You can get rid of uh, Timon of Athens. Yeah. Uh, uh, you could probably get rid of Titus Andronicus because it's 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 great as a uh, it's great as a kind of an early Quentin Tarantino gore fest. Sure, uh, but this um, is I'm when not... he uh, he feeds uh, he bakes uh, two children into a pie in this one. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. Uh, and yeah, there's hand, women's hands being chopped off and raped and tongues cut out. It's just it's not a, yeah. it's not a toe tap in good time. Um, you you can. <laughs> I, 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 I usually argue that my favorite uh, Shakespearean tragedy is Macbeth because it's the shortest. You know, there is something to be said for that. <laughs> yeah. There is nothing wrong with going with the shortest. I mean, I, I think the three finalists in this category are really obvious. And this comes from a guy who is not as well-versed in Shakespeare as either of you. Mm-hmm. My guess is, and we can certainly talk about it, that the three finalists will be Hamlet, Romeo and Juliet, and I forgot the third Macbeth. <laughs> that, yes, I mean <laughs> it's tough, but Rick Beth. I thought he said Rick Beth too. I really I thought you said Rick. Yeah, I okay. I'm not crazy. I did think he said oh, Rick I, Beth. No, I'm I'm uh, half Scooby Doo on my father's side. Rick Beth. <laughs> Rick Beth. <laughs> I gotta rush my rands. Uh, Ruh-roh, a dagger. <laughs> Is it a dagger I need for me? Um, I don't know. I mean, Julius Caesar is there. That's the thing. You look at this list, and they are all classics. They're all classics. Julius, Julius Caesar meanders, in fairness, and after sure. this, after that happens happen- with any biography story. I mean, the yes. movie Chaplin meandered. Yeah. Yes, and that's the first time I've ever heard the movie Chaplin and Julius Caesar mentioned. <laughs> You're welcome. We're a podcast of firsts. You are. That's right. Um, you know, there's the, you could. I think you could make an argument for King Lear, and I think you could make an argument for Othello. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. uh, um, and I, in fact, I might argue for or either of them. Say, I would love to argue for them over, say, Romeo and Juliet and Macbeth, only because I've seen those plays too many times. Of course. But, but there's a reason. But is the, exactly. Yes. Yeah. There's a reason why they get done all the time. Right. Uh, and 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 as much as I would, as much as I never need to see another production of Hamlet again, um, it's you know it is God everything. It, it ghost story, mm-hmm. revenge tragedy, doomed romance, 
family play within a play, play within a play, and political thriller. It's got so much going on. Is Hamlet the ultimate play for an egomaniac? Which I ask for two reasons. One, of course, uh, in Soap Dish, that's what Kevin Klein's character is doing is one man version of Hamlet because all the characters are in Hamlet's head. But but also, uh, <laughs> didn't somebody just did that on Broadway? I'm sh- I'm sure somebody did. I'm sure it wasn't the first time either. But uh, yeah. About, I'd say, 13, 14 years ago, uh, Ron West, who, who we all know, uh, staged a production, a musical called Friar Lawrence, The Man Who Killed Romeo and Juliet, which I, which I, in which mm-hmm. I played a, uh, uh, wait, wasn't it called the, wasn't it called The People versus Friar oh, Lawrence? Right. The People versus Friar Lawrence. Friar Lawrence. Mm-hmm. I, I was in the workshop and the original cast is Lord Capulet and we did, the, uh, the, the first full run of the show was done at the Tamarin Theater which is now the UCB theater. <laughs> yeah. And it was run and owned by this Italian guy uh, who was staging a production of Hamlet at the time. And there was a giant billboard promoting this play that was him kissing Yorick's skull. And it was – and there was an article about it in LA Weekly a year or two later that it was like the most disastrous – egomaniacal <laughs> production of a play it was the room but in stage form <laughs> exactly it was the it was the, it was the room he would uh, walk around going where's david where's david who was our producer and we weren't <laughs> allowed to cross so in that theater the re- the only way to really there are two ways to cross you can go behind the flats which is a really narrow space or you can go underneath the audience which is where a, dre- uh, a dressing room area is but because that was the star's dressing room we were not allowed to use that as a uh, <laughs> as a cross through. Which, by the way, that theater—I don't know if uh, the, uh, how many people have been to the what is now the UCB Theater in Los Angeles. It's like there's one big room and one small room, and apparently, when he was doing this production, <laughs> that star dressing room is the big of the two. Yes, <laughs> the tiny dressing room had the rest of the cast in it. Yeah, it basically, step down into a gutter and get changed. Yeah. Well, to, to answer your question, I think yes, Hamlet does draw egomaniacs. But I think, I, I think again, I could argue that much of Shakespeare draws egomaniacs. Sure. King Lear yeah. draws old egomaniacs. Romeo and Juliet draws young egomaniacs. Yeah, that's right. And in fact, I, I, I saw a great production of, of Lear in London with um, Simon Russell Beale as Lear, and and he's not old. He's in his fifties, nor and he didn't play it old. And what the revelation of that production to me was that King Lear is a play about getting old, not being old. And I thought ah. that was a very interesting distinction because, of course, it it's, hasn't happened to me yet, but I assume it will one day. You know, where I lo- get older and lose my faculties. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that that you you kind of saw. You saw the tragedy of a of a man losing his faculties, not just having lost them. That's my problem with King Lear. Is the the tr- the real tragedy of King Lear is that he doesn't really do much wrong. Like he's just getting old and daughtery. I mean, he sends his daughter away at the beginning, but this, I mean, it's not the tragic story. It's his, it's not his own uh, undoing. You know what I mean? No, except except yes, he he forces his these daughters into um, untenable positions, and and I suppose you could argue that he's not father of the year since two of his right. daughters are, are are can't wait to take everything they've got. He's got. I guess that's true. You know, 
But yes, I yes, he it's it's he is uh, uh, more sinned upon than sinning, as uh, yes. somebody once said, I believe. Um, so yeah, I think I think you're right, and 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 so in terms of a tragedy, it, it lacks that that tragic aspect of a of a of a of a central figure, right? Know, Othello's jealousy, yes. yeah, yeah. Othello's um, jealousy, yeah, it, yeah. Is it Romeo and Juliet really about how couples need to communicate better? <laughs> Yeah, it's really about if they only lived 400 years later and had iPhones and could text each other, then, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> Romeo and Juliet is it's like it's the love story for the ages, but it's two dumb teenagers who uh, know each other for a week and then yeah. kill themselves. Right. And they're barely teenagers. They're 13 and 14. You know, they're, oh. they're well, I mean, and, and for much of Romeo and Juliet, that's the that's the. The fun thing about that play, and, and I think argues for its greatness, is that it, is that for much of the play, it's a romantic comedy. It's a really funny comedy yeah. with lots of, a lot of fighting and a lot of teasing and a lot of young love, and and then it goes horribly south. Yeah. But, yeah. but for a it lot of it, it's real, da- real dark at the end. Yeah, it does get slightly t- dark at the end. What percentage of Shakespeare's uh, the the issues in Shakespeare's plays could be solved by cell phones? Yeah, um, like could be like, just watched ashore. You up? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Fortunately, I got that new waterproof iPhone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness for OtterBox, a fine sponsor of Shakespeare's plays. Oh, Lord OtterBox, he's come to the theater this afternoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Macbeth would be think I'm seeing a ghost emoji. Ghost emoji. <laughs> Which also would work for Hamlet. Get thee quickly to the Duke of Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> to swipe or not to swipe. We've definitely <laughs> chosen Macbeth and Hamlet. Um, Romeo and Juliet is on the list. What else is going on? The Is that correct? It sounded like no one was. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. Yes, I, uh, I. I. I think it's hard to argue really with with Hal's three choices there. I mean, I. I. I could argue, but it would be half-hearted for Othello. Um, it so was Rome, Macbeth, Hamlet, and what? And Romeo and Juliet. But why? Why would you say? Why would you say Othello half-heartedly? What? What is it about Othello that that wouldn't propel it? And what would be the case for it? Well, I think the case for it is that uh, uh, Othello is a compelling figure, but also. Like Richard the Third, Iago is, oh, is one, one of, of the greatest characters oof. in literature. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about it. the great villain. Yeah, the great. It has a great villain. So there's a great. There's a couple of really great relationships uh, at the core of that. Really interesting, and 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 maybe maybe uh, maybe is one of the reasons to argue for Othello in favor of Romeo and Juliet, which, as we've just been talking about, is mostly a comedy until two young stupid teenagers decide to do the wrong thing. Mm. Um, um, there is a much more classically tragic aspect to. Othello, both in Othello's own um, um, uh, jealousy, but also in Iago's, well, Iago's jealousy. They're both driven mad by jealousy and wanting something, worried that they're going to lose something or wanting something that the other fellow has. Yeah. Um, I have to ask, though, the, the, the question that a lot of times we hate to, we hate to take people off of, out of contention does Othello go all the way and win the whole thing? Does Romeo and Juliet go all the way and win the whole thing? Who gets further in the race? Oh, who who who, who competes better against uh, some of the who other com- ones? Who competes better in the end? I think I'm gonna. I think I would have to argue that Othello would compete better at the end. 
Okay, I think then. I think I think Othello can go deeper into the bracket. Uh, then I am uh, I'm a hundred percent on board for Macbeth, Hamlet, and Othello going to the finals for uh, the tragedies. Al, can I say something very quickly about Romeo and Juliet before we leave mm-hmm. and go into our finalists? How much I hate the Baz Luhrmann version. Really? I can't stand. It. I like it. I thought it was fun. I, it felt uh, it felt too gimmicky to me. Like too clever. If the if there's already clever like that, like having a gun thing. called longsword. Yeah, like don't wink at me the whole time. Just do just do the thing. It was a lot of like. Oh, I uh, love that. It felt like pun husky. Are you guys familiar with pun husky? No, but it's a it's my favorite porn site. That's great. <laughs> Punhusky.com is uh, if you're lonely. Saturday night. No, the pun husky is a picture of a pun, uh, a picture of a husky with his mouth open, like a happy husky, and it looks like he's going, huh, huh. So they put it's just so the the meme is always closed mouth husky with the beginning of a pun, then the punchline of the pun, and then the picture of the of the of the husky with his mouth open or her mouth open. It's and it's that it's sim it's symbol it symbolizes that like this is funny, right? It's that Fozzie Bear like ah 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 Yeah. And that's what I felt like that production was for me. I know that it probably got a lot an entire generation of teenagers interested in Shakespeare and Leonardo DiCaprio's chest, but um uh, for some reason I have a big problem with it. I don't know uh, it uh, for that reason. I for some reason. It's for that reason. Mark, you like you liked it. I liked it too. After I, yeah, I had a good time with it. I had done in the past a an updated production of Romeo and Juliet, where we. It, I mean, it happens with Shakespeare's plays all the time, uh, as you well know, and I'm sure have done. And have you done uh, an update, sort of aesthetic update of a Shakespeare play? I just did. My Much Ado About Nothing was set in a 50s high school um, right. where basically it's Rydell High, where in the, other, in the other corner of the school, they're singing about Grease Lightning and Beauty School Dropouts. But in this <laughs> corner of the high school, they're speaking Elizabethan English. Oh, uh, this, this is the corner that gets beat up more often, isn't it? <laughs> well, but, 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 it, but it's interesting what I what, – um, and I first did this production of Much Ado, a 50-minute version of it back in 1989. So before Baz Luhrmann did his Romeo and Juliet. But what I think both these things do successfully is create contexts in which the audience can understand the players and the rivalries and the status at a glance. What, what, is, mm-hmm. what is so hard frequently with Shakespeare is that Shakespeare's audience understood who all the players were and understood, particularly in the histories, for instance, like who all the dukes and whatnot are. But, <clears throat> but it's hard to sometimes understand wait who belongs to which rival family who's a montague who's a cat right you know and 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 Bowles lerman i thought did a did a great job of of illustrating visually who who is in love with who and who's who's has more power and more status than who mm-hmm. and what i a similar kind of thing to what i tried to do in in, in this bunch of do set in this 50s high school where the, the the girls were all the cheerleaders except for beatrice who was kind of the student body president and the and the hb uh, uh oc um mm-hmm. Uh, and that, and that, uh, the, the soldiers in the play were the football players. Um, and, uh, Dogberry, the constable was the principal, um, who had, uh, yeah, who had authority, but no real power. Um, and, and, and the bastard Don John became the greaser Donna John. 
who uh, lacked power and agency by virtue of being second born and a girl in 1950. Um, so, uh, uh, so that kind of all that kind of visual context allowed mm-hmm. the comedy to play in a much more immediate and 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 quick way. That makes that makes great sense because so often I've seen uh, Shakespeare plays and it gets me it takes me a little while to go. All right. I've got to get used to this. I've got to get used to this. I have to figure this out. I have to draw the map in my head. This is let's just scrap. And I, I it's another reason I enjoy updated versions uh, in general. It's, don't worry about that. We'll give you we'll give you this so you can focus on the relationships. Yes, exactly. And 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 all that being said, I don't disagree with Hal about Lerman kind of winking and maybe being a slightly more clever than he needed to be. Yeah. Ah, you can't blame the guy. Come on. <laughs> you can't blame him. He's you can't blame the guy. He's he gets to be clever. Family. He's a clever guy. Let him be clever. Yeah, he can be clever. He doesn't have to tell me he's being clever. Just be clever, for goodness sakes. If you have to explain the joke, it's not funny anymore. Oh, that's fair. Um, all right, so it looks like we have our finalists. Right. Um, and we've got... Uh, uh, we've got... In the comedies category, we have Twelfth Night and A Midsummer Night's Dream. In the histories, we have Henry V... And of the tragedies, we have Hamlet, Macbeth, and Othello. How do you want to break this up? Do you want to do our uh, elimination? Uh, what are you guys thinking? Yeah, let's do it. Right. How do you draw up the brackets? That's. Oh, do you want to do brackets? Oh, wait, let's see. We have one, two, three. Uh, I'm not sure you can. Uh, it's tough with six. six, yeah. Yeah, never mind. So usually what we do <clears> when we get down to finalists, Austin, is we go round robin. Okay. Take turns eliminating one until only two remain from which the victor is chosen. Got it. Got it. Okay. So we each go around the room and we and we pick one to get rid of. Yes. So Mark, we should start. I'm trying to figure out this math. Take a pause for a second. Sure. Um. You know what? I think Austin should start. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh boy, this is tough. Um, how do you get six of Shakespeare's greatest plays and how do you pick one to get rid of? Uh, right. I, I think. Let, I can ha- we just start this with they're all amazing? We know that yes. they're, yeah, they're the great canon of literature. Yeah. Yes. It's an honor just to be nominated to be the six. <laughs> and, and also, may, uh, maybe you have business, Austin, doing this. Hal and I clearly have no business doing this. <laughs> no, this is not true. Shakespeare is for everyone. Good. Shakespeare is for everyone. Everyone deserves to have an opinion about Shakespeare. And if you if you've listened this far, you definitely have. <laughs> right. you definitely do. <laughs> um, let's see. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm, I apologize, Mark, but I'm gonna have to eliminate Midsummer Night's Dream first. Whoa. Yeah, it's oh. look. I I get it. It's the children's matinee. <laughs> yeah, it's just I, I've seen too many versions of it, and uh, you know, in terms of its it's it, it's it's great for all for many 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 reasons that it introduces people to Shakespeare and it has lived so long and survived so many terrible productions. Um, but in terms of his greatest work, I I, I don't think it can I don't think it can compete. All right, uh, Hal. You want to go next, or do I go next? I can go next. Okay. Uh, I'm going to eliminate Henry V, although I do want to say the St. Crispin's Day speech is fantastic, and I love 
Uh, a great modern version of it. It can be found in the 1993 film Renaissance Man when Lillo Brancato Jr. recites it in the rain after they've gone to see a performance. Uh, that is a great, this is another great, there are a lot of great films about making Shakespeare accessible that aren't a modern set production. And that's a, that's a great one. It's Danny DeVito teaching, uh, a, a group of soldiers who are believed to be the least intelligent on the base, but he manages to communicate Shakespeare to them in a way that they understand. Uh, it's a great, uh, I, I think it's a really, uh, interesting look at, at how that, how that can be done. But give, give me the, give us that title again. Renaissance Man, starring Danny DeVito, <laughs> Mark Wahlberg, <laughs> Willow Brancato Jr. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm all over that. Also, another good example of the, uh, a great Henry V speech is, of course, Bill Pullman's Today is Independence Day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. But that play's gone. Yeah. <laughs> Take that, Henry V. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can I tell you a very brief Henry V story before I get to eliminate one? Um, I, uh, I was part of a 24 hour Shakespeare festival where we, uh, where every, uh, different groups of people were handed different Shakespeare plays to put on a production of, it was going to run 24 hours a day. And we got Henry V in like a 4am slot and a bunch of us bozos got together in a, uh, a punk club during the daytime and rehearsed it. It fell apart, so we. This was before Thrilling Adventure Hour. We uh, we went. You know what? Screw it. We have the time slot. Let's just hold the scripts and treat it like a radio play. Uh, so that was uh, that was my only. So I'm glad to see it go, if only because I had a failed version of it. So, wow. Twenty twenty four hour Shakespeare. You, Mark, the Shakespeare nerd is strong with you. Oh yeah. Oh look, I'm I'm I told I told you I was very excited about this episode. Um. <laughs> I am, I am going to, I am going to eliminate. So the history's gone. We have one comedy. I want to leave Twelfth Night in there. Um, my question I'm asking myself right now is, uh, does the juicy villain in Othello beat, uh, Macbeth and every bit of crazy that it's got going on? I don't think it does. So I'm going to have to eliminate Othello. Yep. I can see that. I can, I completely understand that choice. Yep. Um, well then, so now it's to me again, right? And we've got Hamlet, Macbeth and Twelfth Night left. mm -hmm. Oh God. I'm not going to, I'm, I I can't eliminate Twelfth Night. I mean, I could, but I won't. Uh, um, and so I have to choose between a Hamlet's length Uh, that's a big <laughs> argument against it um, versus uh, um, Macbeth's brevity. Oh, golly, this is tough. This is tough because you can't argue that Hamlet's not a great play. Right. You can't. Um, I, I think uh, – I, but I will. Screw it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eliminate Hamlet. Whoa. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. I can't believe that just happened. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, nobody cares about the Polonius family, and he spends way too much time dealing with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so it's down to me. Uh, yeah. Twelfth Night or Macbeth. Just let me say, shit. I bleeped that out, but you know what word it was. You know, uh, if you listen to the show often, that we always try to saddle our guests with the, the ultimate choice. <laughs> But we we can go we can go back and re-record. Oh no no, we're gonna live with this mistake. 
parents did it, and so will I. <laughs> so should we should we all decide it, or do you feel that you want to burden this shoulder this burden, Hal? No, I can shoulder this burden. I think it's pretty clear. The burden that was handed to you, by the way, by Austin for eliminating Hamlet. I thought, honestly, I thought it was going to be like our Muppets episode where we eventually got to Kermit, but we got to talk about everyone. With Hamlet gone, this is up in the air. I don't think it is. I think it's pretty clear that it's Macbeth. Oh! I think yeah, the Twelfth I... Night is, is a great comedy, but Macbeth is such a classic. The themes of Macbeth and... The desire for power and the willingness to do it. I mean, that's what, if you like House of Cards, you probably will like Macbeth. Uh, if you like election, you probably will like Macbeth. The, <laughs> the lengths that people will go to to get or keep power and the people who drive them and how malleable they come, they become in this rigid search is an, an incredibly classic theme that plays out all the time, both in film and television and in the real world. And how did we begin well, this conversation? Cross-dressing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Cross- I. Yeah. Twelfth Night has a lot. Has a has a, a variety and richness of tones for sure. That that makes it great. But I, you know, it's hard to argue. It's hard to argue with everything you said about Macbeth. And where did we start this conversation with me saying that Macbeth is 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 Shakespeare's greatest tragedy because it's the shortest? <laughs> well. <laughs> Well, there you yeah. go. We proved it. It's science now. It's science. Yeah. The shorter, the better. Who knew that uh, having the abridged guy on, <laughs> we'd wind up picking the shortest play that Shakespeare offered. Oh, and uh, and I know there's going to be some comments about uh, getting rid of Hamlet. Um, and I'm prepared to defend that decision about uh, three quarters heartedly. Yeah, we are three quarters willing That's to fair. die on that hill with you. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. That it is yeah. to me to say... I'm going to give 75 and 10%. Uh, people of the world, allow me to say this. Out, out, brief podcast. Life's but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage. And that is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. And if anything signifies nothing, it is our podcast on which we decide how you should live your life. <laughs> and today, all you Shakespeare heads out there, all you spearheads, we've decided for you what is the best play of all time. So leave Austin alone at conferences. Let him like what he likes. If he doesn't like something so much, maybe it's not that great. Maybe you like it too much. You ever think of that? It doesn't feel good, does it? <laughs> leave him alone. But when you get into an argument about what is the greatest Shakespeare play of all time, that debate, my friends, is closed. It is Macbeth, which Paul and I said to each other all the time before we went out on stage at Largo for the Adventure Hour. <laughs> <laughs> Did you really? Yes, yes, absolutely. We should have. Oh, I That's love great. that. Uh, Austin, thank you so much for coming yeah. on the show. This was an absolute Oh, blast. you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I, 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 talk about a, a nerdgasm. I got to spend an hour and 15 minutes talking about Shakespeare. This has been great. Yeah. Now, right? Oh, you made man. an announcement uh, on Sunday of a new uh, a new book that is out. So tell everybody about the book. Tell everybody where they can uh, find out about a reduced show happening near them. Plug away, my friend. 
Uh, plug away. Well, we, yes, you can. Um, um, our website is reducedshakespeare.com, and all of our tour dates in all of the countries around the world uh, are, is, uh, is up there now. Um, we currently, in here in 2017, have a 50-city tour of uh, Britain going on right now. We're touring our latest reduction, William Shakespeare's long-lost first play, Abridged, which we're also touring around uh, uh, the United States this spring uh, and later this fall. Um, uh, and, and in addition to that, we, you know, we've, we've wanted to, we, I also have a, in addition to that, I also have a, the, my weekly reduced Shakespeare company podcast, which is a backstage tour. It's now we're I've been doing it now for 536 weeks, just over, just over 10 years of weekly podcasting, uh, behind the scenes, um, uh, conversations about what, what happens for a touring theater company, but also interviews with people we've met along the way, including, Brian Dennehy and uh, Scott Simon from NPR and Weird Al Yankovic. It's a very it's a very eclectic group of guests. But then our our biggest thing right now is that yes, we continue to reduce Shakespeare, and, but now we we have realized that in order to re- we we need we've now realized that we need to get to them young. So we have just announced that <laughs> this September you'll be able to buy pop up Shakespeare with illustrations. Oh. <laughs> with illustrations by Jenny Mazels, who is a, who is just an amazing um, artist and has created a series of pop-up books. She's now turned her attention to uh, Shakespeare, and she invited my partner, Reed Martin, and I to write the text for this pop-up book. Um, it's amazingly beautiful, and the, and the, and the, the text is funny, too. But uh, it comes out in September, and you know, for, if there are any Shakespeare nerds, or even soon young-to-be Shakespeare nerds uh, in your family, uh, this is going to be a, just a fantastic introduction. It, uh, it's, it's, it'll be available in both um, America and the UK um, starting in September of 2017. That's awesome. It is. I'm very excited. Yeah, we're very excited about cool. this. Um, gentlemen, thank you so much for inviting me on to give you my uh, reduced scholarship. <laughs> thank you for coming. I'm so glad. Now, I remember early on in the in, in your podcast, uh, I was doing a podcast myself with Mike Ross uh, right. and Michael Faulkner. And, That's and right. I did a, like a very brief cameo. So very early on, one of my earliest podcast okay. appearances was on your podcast. That's awesome. I, I still, I miss the Hawk and Dove podcast and your appearances on it. It became, it wasn't, again, it was like, a, like Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. It wasn't really about Hawk and Dove. It was about Hal Lublin and what, <laughs> what he's doing this week. <laughs> That's right. Watch this space, people. Go find it if you can. I don't know. I thought they stayed too long on the Lublonius line. <laughs> Oh, and I and I'll, I'll only correct one thing you said. It's a it's a it's a it's a it's a tale, yes. But I think in this case, it's told by three idiots this week. <laughs> Perfect, a tale told by there three idiots. There you have it. Uh, and this topic has been settled. But there's so many other topics out there, and we want to hear from you. Uh, so you can reach out to us by email at we got this podcast at gmail dot com, or you can come to our Facebook group. Uh, not only is it a great place to discuss the show and meet other people of the world, uh, but we also put exclusive content up there, and you never know what it's going to happen. So go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash we got this podcast to make sure you don't miss out on the fun. Or you can check us out on Twitter at we got this tweets, or you can visit the Maximum Fun subreddit 
A flame war is probably happening right now. Thanks, as always, to our musicians, Jonathan Dinerstein and Mike Furman, for our score and theme song, respectively. Thank you to producer Ken Plume, researcher Kate McManus, who put together a ton of information for this episode. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Kate. Uh, graphic designer Uri Kelman and QA engineer Jen Alba. And thanks, as always, to you, our listeners. Uh, we, you have, you have given us so much joy listening to the show and letting us do great things like talk to Austin about Shakespeare. Uh, we cannot thank you enough, but we will continue to try. For Hal Lublin, I'm Mark Gagliardi. For Mark Gagliardi, I'm Hal Lublin, and don't worry, everybody. We, we got, got this. this. We got this. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.